Welcome back to Horror Month on the Overthinking Movies podcast. I'm your overthinking host, Brandon Hain, joined this time by my co-host, Alex Ulacki, the overthinking co-host. And we today are covering The Blob, but not The Blob. We're talking about The Blob, the 1988 remake of The Blob, directed by Chuck Russell and written by him and his colleague, Frank Darabont. Now, a number of years ago, before COVID... Alex and I drove up to Phoenixville, Pennsylvania, and went to Blobfest, the celebration in the town of Phoenixville, because the blob, the original 50s blob, was filmed there. And they have a big festival where you can buy a bunch of horror merch, and they have different events and stuff going on. And so Alex and I then got to see the original 50s blob for the first time in the theater where the movie's climax was filmed. And that was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, that was your introduction to the blob there. Yeah, I had seen the uh, original one first, but it was honestly surprising that I've never seen the remake before we just saw it a few weeks ago here. I mean, knowing us, you would have thought that would have been on our roster long ago. Yeah, and the original Blob surprised me with how fun and kind of genuinely good a lot of it is, despite the cheesy effects of the Blob itself. It has very quirky characters, and it has a good heart to it, and it also has a really striking ending. It's a movie I definitely recommend. So when I heard that they'd made an 80s remake of the Blob with special effects on the same level as The Fly and uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers remake and uh, The Thing where there's no CGI and they had to come up with new techniques to show off the technology of the time. And I was curious what they would do with The Blob because, you know, it's such a goofy, very charming cult kind of movie. How would you go about remaking that? So after years of Alex and I talking about watching it, we finally sat down and watched the remake and... It's really good. Yeah, it, it is very good. Like he mentioned with The Fly and The Thing, uh, The Fly had been one of the movies that had kind of messed him up as a kid, so that meant a lot to him. The Thing had been basically the film I idolized as a kid, running around and playing The Thing game with my friends where we try to figure out who's human and who's not, which is mostly an improv thing. And, and again, both The Fly and The Thing... 80s films based off of original, like, clear, cheesy 50s sci-fi movies, just like this blob here. And if a grotesque body horror, in- intense slime, if any of that's your kind of thing, then this this blob too, like the fly in the thing, is definitely a must-see. I can't say that I would put it on the level of either of those two movies, but... This is still quite a good movie. If you don't like arms getting ripped off of people, kind of just disintegrating and you can see all this stuff, then do not watch this blob. It's not your 50s blob. Right. Just like the 50s movie, the blob in this film does, you know, engulf people and devour them. But in the 80s blob, no, we actually see this. We see the blob sucking up people and literally making them dissolve into it and become part of it. And it's... It's legitimately horrifying because the special effects are great in this movie. They use a oh yeah a big combination of stuff. Alex and I, after watching it, listened to some of the special features to get an idea of what they used. And to my shock, it wasn't really a gelatinous thing of sorts. It was more like a quilt. Yeah, a series of blankets with air pockets that they could like shoot air into to inflate different parts at different times, covered in 
gooey, you know, like over-the-counter drugstore type of things to give it that shine and slobbery type look. Right, for scenes where the blob is in the same environment as the actors that they can act off of, because many times it's, you know, just like many movies of the 80s, every shot kind of switches to a different effects technique. Sometimes it's that, sometimes it's probably more just like a, a, a goo itself that they're kind of, you know, speeding up as they splat it against a wall or something, because there's the blob is fast in this movie. When it senses you, it flies in your direction. And it, 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 like a lot of times there'll be great shots where the actors will be diving out of the way of the blob as it splats on a wall right next to them. Um, it's, it's, it's quite something to see. Like it, the movie on its own, I mean, the acting and the writing is strong too, but the movie is worth seeing on its own just for the effects of the blob itself. The, the acting and writing was more than I initially anticipated for this too. They really establish very likable characters. It's just the 80s, but it's that 50s town with, you know, the town that knows everybody. There you got the bad kid, the nice couple, the, the guy who works at the drugstore, the, the head of the church. You have all this great characters that, as the director put it, the blob knows no bounds to. Nobody is safe from the blob. They really do a good job of leading you in directions that you don't expect it to go. And I give this movie a lot of props for that. Yeah, constantly. And of course, we won't get into spoilers because I really want people to watch this film. But it's also just that constantly the movie goes, oh, yeah, this isn't this character great. Like, he seems like a really cool guy and we'll follow him as he runs from the blob. And it's like, oh, no. Actually, this character's the protagonist, or you're following this character, and the movie does a great job keeping you on your toes as to what's really going to happen, and it really uh, pulls some fast ones on you. Like I said, it's written by uh, Chuck Russell, who would go on to direct, of course, the beloved uh, Jim Carrey movie, The Mask. Later on, he would do films like Scorpion King, and well, before this, he was, of course, known for Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, one of the most beloved Nightmare on Elm Street films, but most importantly... His writing partner for this movie is Frank Darabont, the writer and director of films like Shawshank Redemption and The Green Mile and truly like some of the most acclaimed films of the past couple of decades, including uh, being the showrunner for the first couple of seasons on the worldwide phenomenon The Walking Dead. And his usual good writing of just creating strong, memorable characters, usually in town-like settings or in small, contained areas, uh, really contributes to making this movie very memorable because everybody in this film, even the characters that die early on, have something in them that makes you really care about them. Right. Especially because this movie isn't just a recap of the story of the blob. It goes down similar routes, but uh, not to give anything away, but not too long into this movie, at least nearing the halfway point, it pulls a full-on twist of the origins of what the blob is that take it in a very different direction that make it really compelling when it introduces a another antagonist to the film and I loved all that stuff it led to some really uh, engaging action sequences I mean it further just made us want our lead <laughs> hero to survive needless to say the blob 1988 is highly recommended it is a very very enjoyable 80s horror film that while I wouldn't say it's on the same level as say the fly remake with Jeff Goldblum or of course John Carpenter's the thing it's another example of a strong remake of an old cheesy sci-fi film that works because it sets it in a much more grounded world with strong 80s practical special effects that are a sight to behold now brandon so we both agree it's not quite on par with 
again, the thing or the fly. Um, I do have a few notes on some of the reasons I think it's not as strong. Do you, did anything stand out to you that wouldn't put this quite on that high podium that we put those? Um, I think it's a few things. I just think the story of the thing and the flyer are much, much more interesting and engaging. The fly being a man slowly turning into a fly-human hybrid and watching as his mind slowly devolves. And it's honestly just, like, horror-wise, it's much more horrifying. And the thing, of course, is a classic because of how immaculately it portrays an atmosphere of paranoia in an isolated location. I feel like the blob overall doesn't have quite, it's not quite as compelling a concept script-wise, and also the special effects, especially right. during the third act where the blob gets super huge, do show their limitations. There's a lot of green screen that doesn't look great. There's a lot of effects that don't live up. Right. It's a lot of double layer screens that at that point didn't work as well. And the saving grace to the fly is that it never gets super large like that. So at no point in the movie do they need to use a single prop that looked fake for the most part to me, at least that they kept into the the final cut. The ending of the blob was just so ambitious that even though the effects for the blob itself look good for the most part, layering it didn't necessarily work as well as that could have today. Of course, today they would have just had a CG blob, which would have not been anything comparable to what we saw here. And again, like the thing does get pretty big at the ending. So you do get like a stop motion sequence or two that don't look quite as compelling as the effects do through the rest of that movie when you have a large tentacle breaking out of the the ground. But that only goes on for literally a few seconds that you see this slightly less convincing effect. There's... A lot of the climax of the blob looks like this. And again, that's not to say that it doesn't look... The effects themselves don't look good. They still look pretty great for the most part. Though there are a few instances of stop motion in here as well that you can clearly tell is stop motion. Yeah, for me, I don't think the story itself is necessarily less compelling than turning into a fly or... Well, okay, to be fair, I think being trapped on an Antarctic base with people you don't know if you can trust is one of the most compelling stories in the world but this is still in its own nature it's, it's just an organism that could be hiding in your small town that will digest you and get bigger i i think that's that has the potential on its own to be a pretty cool concept so some of the effects some of the layering at the end bring it down a little bit when it's too ambitious though we it is kind of an 80s soundtrack i for some reason it sounded I almost want to say synthetic to me or something. The soundtrack didn't sound, like, good to me. Uh, uh, did you notice anything like that? No, not particularly. To be honest, I'm struggling to remember some of the score. I, re I remember liking the score. I just don't recall a lot of it. Something about it, like, I don't know. This Here's kind of a nerd reference, but it almost sounded like uh, if you would compare the thing and the blob, that you like the blob ha would have the score of Batman the Animated Series where this would be... Uh, Justice League, where everything just sounded a lot more produced or synthesized. I, I don't know. And also, the acting of the the main female protagonist at points didn't seem to be particularly strong, I felt. Did you have any notice like that? Uh, not really. I didn't really... I wasn't really bothered by really any of the performances in the movie. Now, okay. of course, I, I would say that I was more engaged by the performance of our 
real lead character more than necessarily sure, the yeah. female protagonist, but I can see what you're getting at. I mean, there were just a few instances where it seemed like less convincing than a lot of the other actors and actresses in the film. Again, not that it was enough to to hinder it at all. I mean, pretty much we've covered my three notes, which were the things that didn't work in the film. So pretty much everything else does work. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for the most part. I mean, you know, like the director says in the extras on the Blu-ray, he's like, yeah, I mean, they could eventually make one with a CG blob, but it's not going to look quite as good as this movie. And and even just outside of special effects, I think they're really going to have to try hard if they do a remake to really try to compare to this film. Because, like we said, it's not just the effects. This is a great character piece with some fun twists and really charming characters. And I know at the end, too, we were where we at least initially had trouble deciding if this was imperatively better than the original blob after you've had some time to think about it it's been a few weeks do you think that you would definitely say this is better than the original blob or you still feel mixed about that the characters are not quite as charming and weird and quirky and unique as the uh, charm of the original blob i think that Overall, I I prefer them, but at the same exact time, in terms of being a horror film, obviously the new Blob is an immense improvement. Oh, well, yeah. That's inarguable, for sure. If you haven't seen the Blob either version, absolutely check them out, because they both are very compelling, you know, movies about a very strange, you know, alien concept. Even if you can't take that high level of violence necessarily or slime like you would get in uh, the, the movie that we're actually reviewing now, I think anybody could appreciate the original Blob for the most part. There's a reason why Phoenixville still pulls in uh, new guests to this day at Blobfest because there's just something about that movie and the charming little uh, culture of that town that makes the movie probably going to live on forever. Which, knowing that, they probably will eventually do another reboot to this, like we had discussed, probably wouldn't be ideal. It looked like the director was initially pl- like counting on doing a sequel immediately afterwards, though, because the, la- the ending to it gives you a little bit of what could be a teaser that there could be more. And I have to admit, I would have been interested to see a follow-up to this though even just waiting you know two three four years between 88 and the early 90s that still could have been an immensely different movie effect wise than the first one which might not have worked though i still would have been curious but unfortunately it only grossed eight million dollars and the movie's budget was 10 million so it was a failure at the box office and again, a lot of that, though, went down to um, studio switch-ups at that time. I believe they were talking about where th- the heads were switching, and this wasn't a project they necessarily cared about, so they didn't necessarily promote it the way they should have right. either at the time. It kind of got brushed under the rug. As happens with so many TV shows that everybody loves and so many movies everybody loves, there's always just inner workings behind the scenes that ultimately throw a movie off, no matter how good or how sometimes even how successful it is. But, hey, years later, it's it's always the right time to check out The Blob, whether it's the original film or it's this remake, because it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, back and forth of movies. It's just that, well, you know, only watch The Blob remake if you have the stomach for it. <laughs> That's for sure. There is so much in here. Probably one of the most packed 
films with uh, those classic 80s effects, too. I mean, there's so much that goes on in here. <laughs> so many different disgusting, horrible things. And all, like, like a, such a variety of them and so many different effects techniques going on that make it just remarkably, you know, engaging throughout. There's never a dull moment. That that's true. Yeah, this stays pretty tight and pretty unpredictable and is certainly certainly worth a watch. All right. Uh I I well, I guess we'll wait and see if Hollywood decides to put out another blob, Alex. I I am honestly not a fan of the concept, but hey, who knows? Maybe somebody will find some other way to make this idea compelling because there's certainly ways you could update it, but that all said, thank you for joining me, Alex, on another uh, entry into our horror month, and I'm sure there will be plenty more to come. I'm sure there will. Yeah, and whether or not you have a stomach for it, the blob has no stomach. All it does is devour. And that's going to do it for this installment of Overthinking Movies. Thank you very much for listening. In a kind of spur-of-the-moment decision, I will actually be traveling abroad for the next two weeks, so my initial plans of filling out the month of October with tons of horror episodes is not exactly going to plan. The episodes will come out. They will probably just unfortunately be pushed to November. They're already recorded. I just need to finish up editing them. And, and I unfortunately just did not have time with all of the sudden packing and catching up on work I had to do. But I hope you look forward to the remaining Halloween episodes to come in November. And if you're disappointed that I'm not covering Thanksgiving movies instead... What Thanksgiving movies? I mean, if you know of any Thanksgiving movies, feel free to suggest them to me, but I'm not actually aware of any distinct or memorable ones besides, like, Peanuts specials. But the episodes that will come up after my break include a dive into the Halloween Town franchise of Disney Channel original movies from the early 2000s, an hour-long review that Alex and I recorded for Halloween Ends, and an interview with an actual filmmaker whose work dates back to the 1960s. I'll reveal more about that as we get closer to that episode's release. And if you have any feedback for the podcast or suggestions for movies or movie topics you'd like us to cover, you can send those to overthinkingmoviespodcast at gmail.com. And for more episodes of Overthinking Movies, you can go to goldhitswkva.com, star967.com, or wchx1055.com and click on the podcast tab at the top. You can also find Overthinking Movies on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty much any app you can find podcasts on. For now, I'll see you guys in a few weeks. That's a wrap.